All right, Heather. A, B, C, or D? Or E? We have an E now? Oh, is that the... the That's the Council of Good People. Hmm. You were gone for one fucking episode and you (laughs) forgot E? I thought that was D for some reason. I don't know why I thought that. No, D is just random trivia. (laughs) Um... D. Let's do random trivia. I actually do have something for this one. Um, apparently, today, uh, it was announced that uh, potentially the fourth person in the history of, you know, people uh, was cured of HIV. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. That is interesting. I did not know that. Yeah, so what it ends up, it's it's a very crazy process. It's not something that's like easily repli- uh, replicated. Um, but typically how they end up doing it is it's leukemia patients that also have HIV. What they're able to do is when they give them a bone marrow transplant, there is a subsect of people that is essentially immune to HIV. Not completely, but they're resistant. They're resistant to HIV um, because of the specific... Um, I want to say it's a, like a specific protein or something like that in your white blood cells that allows the HIV virus to attack them. And what some people don't have that enzyme or something like that. So HIV can't attack it. So what ends up happening is you end up getting leukemia. So they'll blast you with radiation and essentially kill off your entire immune system and then give you a bone marrow transplant. And the bone marrow transplant, if you end up getting it from somebody who happens to be HIV resistant, when their white blood cells start populating your body, it can actually stop HIV from spreading in your body. And I mean, and, mm-hmm. and they also do it with, you know, a combination of anti, you know, uh, HIV antivirals and all that other stuff. And, yeah, it, like I said, it's happened four times. So, and this person that uh, they did it with this last time was uh, 66. So they're the oldest person to be cured of it in this way. But that's pretty much the essential steps to do it. And that's why it's not a practical solution for combating HIV. But it's actually helped um, in the development of some new, uh, antivirals and stuff like that. So, and we are in the midst of possibly in the uh, near future, getting a HIV vaccine. Thanks to things like MRNA vaccines, because they teach cells how to fight something without them having to fight it. You know, like a traditional vaccine can't work with HIV because HIV targets the immune system. It wants immune cells to attack it. You know, so you can't introduce a dead or weakened version of it because that's what it wants. All you're doing is teaching the body to give it what it wants. So mRNA, on the other hand, teaches the cells how to fight it without it being around. So, um, yeah, so there's some uh, promising developments on it that way, too. But like I said, the bigger news is, theoretically speaking, the fourth person has been cured of HIV. Wow. That's fucking crazy. That's cool. 
Yeah. That's pretty cool. Very encouraging news. I'm glad I chose that number now or that letter now. Yeah, no, it's insane. Um, I mean, now there's been a ton of, you know, developments with antivirals and all that other stuff too, but it's just kind of crazy that, you know, we're actually getting to that point now. So, uh, where they're actually able to do things. And I mean, I remember growing up, it was just pretty much right away considered death sentence. I mean, you had HIV death sentence, you know, so yeah, just crazy. Very cool. Yeah. I literally ended up reading that too, like five, 10 minutes before we started, you know, we jumped on this call. So. Hello, kitty. But yeah. Cool. I was, I was worried he was going to, I was worried he was going to like step on the sound pad. That's why I made that face. I was like, oh shit. Cat's going to step on the sound pad. He just wants to be included. He does. But he's very rude about it. He doesn't <laughs> ask nothing. He just goes, hey, you're doing something? Let me get in the middle of it. But he is Tell my, him nope. He is my sweet little fat boy. So, <laughs> And it's funny, too, because right now his tail, you guys, no one can see it. Right, His tail is just completely covering the screen. He's just got his tail <laughs> right in front of the screen right now. Huh. His body is just right off camera. So anyway, um, anything else you guys want to talk about before we start recording? Or not before we start recording, but before we jump into the episode, I, I should say. I'm good, I think. No, I think I'm good. I've got something I want to talk about. A few months back, I brought up the fact that AMC is playing weird advertisements before uh, the movies in particular. It's one with Nicole Kidman telling you, hey, you should go to the movies because it's a magical time. And I was thinking, why the fuck are we doing this? Because, you know, I'm at the movies already. You don't have to tell me to go to the movies. I'm there, Nicole Kidman. I just kind of realized when I saw Nope that like it's been over a year of that bullshit. It hadn't stopped yet. Fucking go away. I'm so tired of it. <laughs> I was tired of it when it started, but it's been over a year and it's still going and it's before every movie at AMC and it's driving me nuts. You're right. They have been doing that a while. That's yeah. And they have different versions of it too. Like <laughs> really it's the same commercial. Like I think there's something where she says something slightly different, but mostly they change like the movies that she's seeing on the screen. I've seen them do that a couple. I times. don't fucking pay attention enough for that. <laughs> well, that's shit. how long they've been doing it. Yeah. <laughs> no, because all I'm doing whenever that thing airs is just yelling in my head that I want it to go away. So you're yelling. I'm seeing what movies are playing. Jason's probably watching Nicole Kidman. Justin doesn't even get those because he doesn't have an AMC <laughs> near him. Okay. Yeah, it's not AMC. That's, so I, yeah, unfortunately, I'm missing out on all this fun that you guys are talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm missing out on sure. Nicole Kidman, which is kind of upsetting, but. You could probably just look it up on YouTube. I'm sure it's You would hate her at this point, Justin. <laughs> what I want you to do, Justin, is we're going to find it on YouTube. That, and what you need to do. Possible. 
before every movie, before you go watch it, you need to put some headphones on while you're in the theater <laughs> and just watch <laughs> that and then watch the movie. And I guarantee she looks okay, sharp, that though. Would, I'll give her that. She looks sharp. I like her suit she wears, but after, yeah, you get after like tired of it. Two months, you're going to fucking hate her, Justin. Just hate her. You're probably right. <laughs> it's just the same thing. And the movie theaters don't even look as good as they do in that commercial. Because in that commercial, they've got all black seats and all kinds of things like that. Our fucking seats are maroon. Where are these all black <laughs> seats coming from? Where's this all black special edition AMC theater? That's a fair question. That's that, that's that private one. You have to be a celebrity to get into that one. That's get into Nicole's that private AMC. Theater. How weird is that? A private yeah, a AMC. Private dog. Oh, whatever. What the fuck ever. <laughs> all it does, all it does is make me just kind of not want to go to the movies and hate Nicole Kidman. Uh oh. <laughs> Like, I'm fine with it afterwards, like, once the movie starts going, but it's just like an extra minute and a half of bullshit before the movie starts. And I'm fucking tired of it. And then, before this movie, I don't know if it was the same for you guys, they did all the trailers, all the fucking trailers, right? All the trailers, 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 trailers. And then they did the little AMC thing where it's like, hey, thanks for coming to AMC. You know, check out this. Get popcorn. You know, shut off the your phone. You know, all that bullshit, right? And then it does the Nicole Kidman bullshit. And then it's supposed to go into the movie. It went into another fucking trailer. Which means that trailer that is happened tied to me through. too. It was Oppenheimer, wasn't it? Yeah, it was Oppenheimer. Yeah, I think it the, was the yeah. Nolan. It, yeah. That happened to me too. Yeah, it, it went through everything. And then it was that. And then the movie started. And I was like. That's strange. I've never seen it do that before. It's weird. Yeah. Which means it's on that bullshit of that is tied on to the movie. That's a part of the download of the movie, which, you know what? Fuck you. I just, uh, I intentionally come late to a theater. So I skip all that bullshit. And you force me to watch your trailer like that. (laughs) Oh, man. No warning. No, nothing. There's not a sign on the door that says, hey, guys, just so you know, there's an extra trailer. So if you're somebody like Sterling, maybe, you know, just stand in the lobby for a little bit. I mean, I pride myself at going into the theater when it's like the, hey, guys, thanks for coming to AMC. Join our A-list. Buy popcorn. Turn off your phones. Like that, I, I pride myself on coming into the theater at that time. Because, like, back in the day, like, 10 years ago, sure, I'd go to see the trailers. I'd want to make sure I was there in time for trailers. I give zero fucks about that now because they're all online. They are all online. If I want to see your trailer, I will see it. Even if I don't want to see your trailer, I'll probably see it. Right. I've got, every every time I go to the movies, it's trailers I've seen. I've never gone, oh, man, I haven't seen that one. And cared like it's happened a few times, but I'm like, oh, I didn't care about that one. Kind of like the Oppenheimer one. Don't give a fuck about that. I know it's Christopher Nolan. I 
personally think Christopher Nolan's pretty uh, overrated at this point. And also, I feel like this is going to end up being that tortured soul fucking movie of, oh, Oppenheimer was so smart and all this and that, and he did all this, blah, 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 but he just he hated his invention in the end. The same fucking story about Oppenheimer you get anytime anybody ever talks about Oppenheimer. He really needs like a bounce back movie. He really needs to kind of show he still got it. After that needs bullshit a, of Tenet. Ugh. Yeah, he needs a he needs a come up. Like what he needs the to get on fuck Jordan is he Peele's doing level. this movie? Like, the, you know, he needs to get on Peel's level, man. This felt like a come up. <laughs> this felt like a come up. He needs a come up. No, Nolan needs a come up. Dude, he he's done a couple of good movies and then a bunch of fucking just oversaturated, bloated bullshit movies, and people just gobbling him up. I'm tired of it. I mean, plus, I don't think the man knows how to make a movie under an hour or two and a half hours. And I'm just like, oh, God, <laughs> miserable. I just think he's physically incapable of it. It would not surprise me if Oppenheimer comes on, like, comes in at a, you know, brisk seven hours. <laughs> They've just got like four a intermissions. Real brisk seven hours. Real brisk seven hours. Just a quick, just packed to the brim. Packed to the brim, just five intermissions, just at every time it just says, hey, guys, take a break. Please come back, please. Please. We've, we've still got five hours left. Please, guys, come back. And then the next one's like, please, guys, it's only three and a half hours left. Surely you can handle it. work day watching the movie, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Afterwards, you come out and they, they give you a check for like $40 or whatever minimum, you know. <laughs> like covering minimum wage and you know after taxes right because it'd be a chore they're like yep you spent yeah, a day five at the intermissions five intermissions i'd be so fat i will have gotten like two or three popcorns by that time by the fifth one you probably are like man should i get some candy too that that would just that that would be the death <laughs> of me Jason, if it's it, with five intermissions, they should be just fucking bringing you a three course meal throughout the movie. Basically, yeah. I know, man. Shoot, it should be like a NASCAR pit stop. You just <laughs> you, <laughs> you you run over drained, and then a a crew just comes out and warms you up and gives gives you food and fans you and stuff like that. I mean, five intermissions, damn. I'm not. Yeah, I just I know it's going to be a bloated movie. And like I said, ultimately, in the end of it, it's just going to be like, you know, it was, his, you know, it was his life's work, but it was ultimately his life's curse. I mean, like, that's I, the, don't, I don't really don't know what to think of that movie, honestly. It And that teaser was just it was too short to really like know anything. It just looked. And it was all dark. It was just kind of Nolan's kind of visual look. I was like, yeah, okay. But that Woman King trailer, that was the first time I saw that trailer. And I am excited for that. Viola Davis looked pretty damn fierce in that. I didn't see. I'm kind of excited for it. I didn't see that trailer 
for this movie, but I have seen it. Same. So. It looks awesome. Like I yeah. said, Justin, I pride myself at missing every other fucking trailer. And then they just forced the one I probably would wanted to see the least. Not that I even knew it was there. <laughs> but if you ever were asked Sterling, you're like, hey, Sterling, of all the movies that are coming out in like the next two years, what trailer do you want to see the, the least? I probably would have said Oppenheimer. Because that is probably the movie I am looking forward to the least. Maybe tied with Avatar 2. Fair. I could see that. And if it's tacked on with the movie, then that means we're going to get more of that. You yeah. know, it sets a dangerous trend. And, you know, and like I said, it's just as soon as I heard Christopher Dollar was doing an Oppenheimer movie. And, and like I said, there might be some shit that's different, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Ultimately, in the end, the whole point of the movie is going to be, like I said, his life's work is his life's curse. Because that is the story of Oppenheimer. Like I said, anybody in the history of ever that has ever talked about Oppenheimer for more than 10 seconds has said something like that ever. Even his mother, when he was a child, would say things like that. Because he'd be like drawing in a coloring book and he'd be like, look, mom, do you like this? And she's like, I sure do. Then he would light it on fire. And she was like, oh, no, your life's work is now your life's curse. Just the story of Oppenheimer. <laughs> anyway, I didn't even mean for this. Like we actually went fairly quick through the game segment and I just wanted to bitch and moan about fucking Nicole Kidman for a little bit. And now we're like two hours later. I'm like, Oh fuck. We should start the episode now. So yes, here is our theme song. Cinema Slayers. Hey, Cinefans, and welcome back to another episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. I'm Sterling, and as always, I'm joined by Heather and Justin. Welcome back, Heather. Thanks. And today we we will be talking about what we liked, didn't like, and everything in between with the new Jordan Peele movie. Nope. We will go spoiler-free recommendations and scores, and then into a more spoiler-centric section to allow you to jump around if you so require. Uh, Time codes are in the description. YouTube, podcast, all of it. Time codes are there. Meticulously handcrafted time codes. I manually go in and type each and every every, uh, character of those time codes myself. It's true. And then, you know, I copy and paste after I just typed in the numbers. So whatever. (laughs) But it's still it's great. Check it out sometime. Anyway, uh, let's go ahead and start our spoiler free section. Um, Heather, since, you know, coming back after your little vacation. Getting away from the pod. (laughs) Um, yeah. Okay. Well, I mean. I've ever since, you know, get out, I've been really a fan of Jordan Peele's work as far as his writing and directing. 
And um, this didn't disappoint either. I think this, I mean, I just, I feel like there's just something very special about Jordan Peele's work. I just think he's kind of in this very separate league of how he does what he does. And, you know, I'm just kind of glad that the, he hasn't done that many movies yet, but the ones he's done are so quality. And I appreciate that because I feel like he's not just making movies to just, you know, get money in the bank and make a movie and say he made it. Like he's putting thought behind every film. I feel like he touches pretty much or every project that he touches. And this is no different. I think, um, first of all, this is a beautiful movie. I mean, the cinematography is awesome. Um, I, I think it's so great. And, um, I think obviously the acting is fantastic i mean you got daniel kaluuya back and i mean he's amazing he's top of his game he's probably one of the best actors working right now he's great um kiki palmer was super good i hadn't really ever necessarily seen her in a role like this before i really enjoyed um her dynamic with daniel kaluuya's character because they play siblings but they're very opposite personalities and people and just the dynamic and the way that they play off of each other and just how they are together. It's a very believable brother sister relationship. And I think that was a really, really cool aspect that they put into that. Um, They have a lot of random, not random, but they have a lot of interesting, I would say um, kind of supporting characters in this, but it is, it works. It just really works. I mean, you you just think of the scenarios these people are in and how they meet these um, supporting characters that they have. And I just, I don't know. There's just something very creative about, very creative and unique with how Jordan Peele does his stories where it's like, I mean, just the random, you know, guy that's helping them set up stuff, set up cameras, like becomes a huge part of this movie. And you're just like, well, how do you think of stuff like that? You know? And I just think that all of the characters felt like very real people, their actions that they take, the things that they say, personalities that they have, they feel like real relatable human beings. Um, I think he's very good at doing that in his movies in some way or another. I don't feel like his stories are all the same story when he has movies that come out. And he just has such an interesting take on every story that he's trying to tell. There's something deeper and profound about what he's trying to say in his films while also just making it a good entertaining movie at face value. So I just really think that he stuck with that this time around with this movie. Um, It was, there were parts of it that I don't necessarily think completely were clear, but it's one of those where, you, you still have questions at the end of the movie, but not in a bad way. You just have questions more of like, man, I'm just, I want to know more about this piece of that. I want to know more about what this means. I want to know more about what would happen in this situation. Like they're not questions like, Oh, you need to tie up the story better. It's questions of like, you're just interested in the lore of the film and like what more they could have done with it and what more they can make from it. It just makes you think about different aspects that, you just want to have explored and um, yeah. So it's like you have questions, but not in the way of 
you know, you feel like you're missing out on what the movie is. It's good questions that you you have at the end of the movie because they didn't need to answer all your questions for it to be a good movie. So I think that's a very unique way that they did it because I'm usually that person that's like, I need to know all the answers of what happens here at the end. Like <laughs> up in the air endings are hit or miss for me. But I mean, this wasn't a hit or miss ending, but it's, you know, it's just one of those where sometimes if they don't give you enough, you just feel like they missed the mark. But the way that this whole thing unfolds in this movie, the whole story and the whole plot is really well done and very um, thoughtfully crafted out. So um, I think it was really good. Um, Creepy, um, really just great elements of, you know, things that you, I, I just, it's stories that you see before, but you haven't seen this take on it before. So I think it was really creative for sure. What about you, Justin? Yeah. So for me, I felt like this was kind of a come up for Jordan Peele. I mean, not saying that us was bad or anything like that. I mean, I thought that us was pretty good, but I felt like it was kind of a step down from get out. Like it just, you know, and and like what what you were talking about, Heather, with some of those questions, I felt like I wasn't able, like I had some questions after us and it felt a little rougher, rough around the edges especially compared to Get Out, which is like almost, which it's kind of hard to compare anything to Get Out because it's like, damn, it's almost damn near a perfect film. But uh, but still, Us felt like kind of uh, like not just a slight step down. It felt like a couple of steps down from Get Out. And this, to me, is going back up the other way. Like this... I definitely like this more than I did us. I'm not saying it's as good as get out, but to me, this felt more, this felt a lot closer to that. Just as far as the film quality, uh, how Jordan Peele told the story, this felt a little more focused to me. Like it felt like the, the, the story was a little bit easier to follow. And it just felt like it was a lot more organized with what he was trying to do, the messages he was trying to convey. This just felt a lot better to me. And this flowed a lot better to me than us did. Um, So I really enjoyed this. I really thought that this was good. I mean, dare I say, I think that this is probably one of the better movies I've seen this year. I really, really enjoyed this. And I had the pleasure of watching it two times. And I recommend that too. Like, I think this is one of those where, like, the first time you can watch it for the 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 spectacle of it, which, <laughs> you know kind of a pun intended because that's kind of a key word in this uh, movie. But the second time, it's really fun to go through and just pick apart and you notice things that you didn't notice the first time and all these hints and signals and foreshadowing things that he did earlier in the film. I was like, ah, he foreshadowed that. Oh, look, he foreshadowed that. Ah, he showed us that before anything ever happened with that. Like, it was even fun watching this the second time. 
you know, even though I knew the events that were going to happen, you know, just watching it with that coming back with that magnifying glass and really homing in on some things, just he's just the kind Jordan Peele's just kind of the director where you just really appreciate him, man. Like nothing is ever just surface level with him. And those are the kind of movies I like, you know, those are the kind of movies I tend to gravitate towards. So he's definitely a director that, um, that that I enjoy watching. And this to me was him really like, this felt like just like he was really on his game with this, like this, this movie was, it just had a purpose. And I, I felt like it just delivered in almost every way. And on top of that, this is probably one of the most unique sci-fi horror drama action i don't know like exactly where to put it i guess sci-fi would just be the best place to put it like sci-fi with a few horror elements and stuff like that i've got Um, something for that justin i'll get into that a little bit but there's a reason why i'm gonna say it is actual hard horror over sci-fi okay okay and then there's like I guess I can say this without spoiling anything, but then, but on one end it's sci-fi, but then on another, there's like, there's kind of an animal man versus like animalish nature to it as well. So it kind of mixes a bunch of things, but either way, regardless of what, what the perfect label is, this is one of the most unique movies in regards to that genre that I think I've ever seen. Just, what it was about, how he went about doing it and what the story ultimately is and how he uses things that seem unrelated to this, like unrelated to what the characters are dealing with. But yet it all sort of kind of comes back to tell this cohesive story. Um, and, and even and it doesn't seem like that, you know, there's stuff going on with a monkey and you wonder how in the world is all of that going to play into what we're actually dealing with but to jordan peele's credit it all works it all comes together everything means something and to me it all it all just came together for a cohesive narrative so uh, so it gets points for being unique it gets points for being more than just what it is on the surface level there are some good jump scares in this now there are some that you're like okay like do we really need the suspense music there? There are a couple of moments like that, but for the most part, even the jump scares, the horror elements that it does are effective. Like he has a way of telling the story where you let your guard down and then all of a sudden, bam, he gets you a couple of times, but he never overstayed his welcome with any of these elements. It was like, he knew how much of that to give you And then he knew that it was time when it was time to go to something else. And to me, that's just the mark of a great filmmaker. And and the last thing I'll say is, yeah, the acting performances were great. Uh, Daniel Kaluuya. I mean, we, you know, what can I say about him that hasn't already been said? He's great here. But Kiki Palmer was a surprise to me in this. You know, beyond just being the character with the personality and kind of the 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 attitude, so to speak. So I guess you could say she kind of stood out for that because she's the more animated character of the two siblings. But I thought that she was really good in this. Um, 
and to share the screen with somebody like Kaluuya and to do as well as she did. I mean, I didn't know you, you know, I'm not saying that I thought she was a bad actress or anything like that, but I was really impressed with her in this. I felt like she really brought it and when she needed to be vulnerable, she was. And when she was putting up the walls, you could feel that. And at the end, when you're getting d- determined, Kiki Palmer as this Emerald character, all of that landed as well. So, yeah, man, uh, overall, I really enjoyed this movie. I think it's one of the most unique movies that you'll see this year. And uh, Jordan Peele has done it again, man. This is a this is a great film. And I think that this ranks a one among one of his best ones. I was thinking about this as you guys were talking. Because I had my first line that I was going to say of my review. Just cocked and ready. I was ready to shoot it. And then I realized I can't say that. Because it's actually a spoiler. I'm like, son of a bitch. I have to wait. I will say this. <laughs> I think it's funny that you use the word unique, Justin. Because this movie, and this is why, and I'll save the specific for spoilers. This movie is almost a beat for beat ripoff of another movie. And I know those might sound like oh, bad really? language, like in a bad way. And I, it's not because weirdly enough, if anybody was going to do a beat for beat remake of this movie, Jordan Peele is the guy you want to do it because he succeeded at it. He came up with a movie that while we've all seen this other one, you went into this and you went through the whole thing and it still felt new. I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, and that movie. And the reason why I say that is because in, in you'll understand more later that movie is considered a horror movie. Now, whether it is or not, that's a whole other debate, but it is considered a horror movie. That's why I do think this really does fall into hard horror not even really sci-fi. I think you could replace that. The, the, I mean, I think it's safe to say the alien with something else and it still works. And that's why I don't think it's sci-fi, even though a testament to good sci-fi is that it takes things that are real and swaps it with aliens. So it follows actually some sci-fi tropes in that regard. You know what I mean? Really good Star Trek. That shit's all an allegory for Cold War bullshit. Vietnam. All that shit. I mean, Star Wars. The original Star Wars is about the Vietnam War. You know what I mean? So, good sci-fi. I guess, yeah. So, in that regards, Justin, you're right. It falls under the sci-fi because it does those types of things, too. Because it can inter- it can You can swap it out. You can swap it out with a different, you know, animal. And it works. It'd still work. And, you know, so in that regard... You know, Jordan Peele, yeah, did a real damn good job. Uh, I agree with you, Justin. I think it's a step up from us. I think you get into something like Get Out, which, like you said, damn near perfect. It's just a damn near perfect movie. I think us, he felt a little bit of the weight of his success. I think he felt a little bit of the weight of trying to put so much into it. Try to put a ton of horror. Try to put a ton of 
you know, social commentary, try to put a ton of so much into us and it gets bogged down from it. Some, some things don't mesh as well in that, but considering those things and it's still a a really good movie is a testament to Jordan Peele. He's able to present an more or less an over cluttered mess and it's still better than a bunch of shit. Yeah, for sure. And then he comes with this movie. If you're watching it, it's got some social commentary in it. If you're watching it, it's got great just movie making technique to it. If you're watching it, it's just got impeccable writing to it. If you're watching it, it's got great characters. They were all developed by Jordan Peele. And it just kind of shows, yeah, how fucking good that guy is. And like I said, he stripped it down. Like I said, he he went back to more like a get out type of thing where there is social commentary to it. But you don't lose the movie through that. He succeeds once again at blending. Just jabbing social commentary with an impeccably uh, made movie. And he lets the movie breathe. One of the best things about this movie is kind of what's not in it. Those moments where the movie just breathes. And you just kind of take in what's happening. Mm -hmm. And it works so fantastically well. It just kind of bums me out that it started with the fucking Oppenheimer trailer. Fuck off. Anyway. (laughs) No, I think it's great. I mean, I'd seen Kiki Palmer and some stuff before and, you know, she's kind of always been like a comedic relief character. And I think the best thing Jordan Peele does with her in this movie is that's what she's 100% presented as. She's the comedic relief. And when the movie ends, you realize she's not. Yeah. And, and Jordan Peele and Kiki Palmer both did such an amazing job of having that shift a lesser actress and a lesser director would have fucked that shift up. It would have felt forced. It wouldn't have felt natural. Seamless in this movie. Yep. That's true. And that's a testament to both of them because, you know, Jordan Peele can write the most seamless transition ever. If you're, if your performer can't do it, it still fucks up. No, but she nailed it. And you know, like, I mean, I don't want to sound like disregarding and all, but like, I don't really feel like there's much I can say about Daniel Kaluuya because like, he just did Daniel Kaluuya shit. Like. He did what you expected him to do. Yeah. Yeah. Which is be fucking amazing. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, like, I don't mean that in a disrespectful way either, but I'm just like, the guy just does his shit. Daniel Kaluuya is a master of subtlety. That's his thing. He's a master of subtlety, and I think Jordan Peele is a master of subtlety sometimes with what he puts in his movies. So it's kind of like a perfect mix. Yeah. yeah. And to Kaluuya's credit, this character, really, of the characters I've seen him play, is probably the most stoic, the most introverted, the most uh, of any of the characters I've seen him play. You know, this character was a man of few words, you know. Even when, like, these 
crazy things are happening. He had to react in a way that this character would react because yeah. for this character to be like, huh, huh, and scream and stuff would be out of character. You know what I mean? For this character to do, to have certain mannerisms that like maybe just a normal person would have in this situation, this character wouldn't quite react that way. And boy, did he nail this stoic, like just Jesse. very like, very introverted kind of like it, it was almost like a western character in a way like that See, silent that's what i was about to ask you Justin. i was like what you say western cowboy character yeah. which is kind of what i don't want to spoil anything but i won't say that what i was gonna say just saying but that's what it but that's sort of the vibe that he had and he totally yeah. nailed that vibe yeah that's what i was gonna say didn't he come across as like the lead cowboy in a great Western. Yeah. Yeah. The nameless man or the man with no name or whatever, you know, they like to the do. writer He totally came off like that. The drifter or whatever. Yeah. He totally came off like that. See, and this is why I refuse, refuse to ever say John Wayne was a good actor because Daniel Kaluuya shows up in this movie and essentially did every John Wayne role ever better than he ever fucking did in his whole life. <laughs> That's true. Truth. Truth. And then on top of that, he was a black man doing it. So it would have pissed him off even more. So it's even just better. Yeah, that's what that's what I was actually going to ask you, Justin. When you were talking about him, I went, that's why I said Justin. I was, I was like, I wanted to ask you, did he remind you of a Western, like of a cowboy, like that character? Like, yeah. And, and thinking about just, that character's arc, it was totally by design. That's totally what he was. You oh, know? yeah. 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 And now I want to see Daniel Kaluuya in a Western. Dude. I want to see I like a do. remake of Fistful of Dollars or something with him. Man, that'd be tight. Ooh, or Unforgiven. What is it? The Quick, the Dead, the Ugly? Something like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that. I want to see him in that. I want to see him with everybody. I want to see him be in the sequel of, oh, fuck. What was that? The Western we did last year. Netflix. Lakeith Stanfield. Oh, The Harder They Fall. Yeah. I want to see him. I want to see him in The Harder They Fall again. (laughs) Right. I would watch that for sure. Yeah. I would watch it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's that's all I want to see now is Daniel Kaluuya in a Western after this movie. And all I want to see also is Kiki Palmer and some more shit. Like just more Kiki yeah. Palmer and Daniel Kaluuya in a Western. I, mean, I honestly didn't yeah. take her seriously until Hustlers, which sounds weird. But like she was so good in Hustlers, like performance wise. And that was my first time of being like, OK, she's got yeah. she's got like the actual chops here, you know. I mean, she was in some Disney shit. When she was younger, um, she was in that that TV show Scream Queens and all that stuff. And, you know, I'm, like I said, she's kind of more the comedic, you know, relief type of character. And like I said, I, I'm, I'm so glad that you get that element because she is very good at that comedic, you know, the comedic side of things. 
she's very strong in that. So I'm glad they did showcase that in this. But then I'm glad they showcased her immense range. Because that's something I didn't really know she had until this. And I'm glad they were able to showcase that. You know, and so, like, it just, it's one of those things that, you know, Jordan Peele, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you stuck with it and just went out there and made another fucking amazing movie. Like, and it just, and I love that it shows that Get Out wasn't a fluke, you know, because like nothing against us while it's still really good. It's still a, a, it's a bigger drop in quality than I think people want to truly admit. Yeah. We were kind of comparing him. I remember at that time we were like, was this a Shyamalan moment for him? Like where, you know, did he have his sixth sense? We get out and will we ever see anything kind of come close to that? Like we were seriously asking that question about him after us and, this this felt like you said, this felt like a movie that affirmed that no, this guy, if you had any doubt in this guy, no, he's got the goods, man. Well, and he's definitely something special. And if you really want to sure. if you really want to go with the M. Night Shyamalan com- comparison, so that would mean us was comparable to Unbreakable, which I'm not a fan of, but other people are. Other people still really like it. So it's fair mm. that you know people would still like us. You know, Mm -hmm. that's fine. Nothing against that. But then this would have been, if you equate it back, this would have been his signs, which is funny that they're both alien related. Oh, you're absolutely. I was just thinking that, dude, as you were talking, I was like, this is his signs. Yeah. This honestly gave me like the same tone as signs did. I was thinking that throughout the week. But you know what he didn't do? Fuck up the end. Yeah, that he did not do. He did. Yeah, he he got his end. He stuck the landing because ninety five percent of signs is okay. It's pretty good. And then you get to the end of that movie, and it's all weird ass alien saved by asthma. Let's go home run on some cups of water. What the fuck was the end of that goddamn movie? Oh, it's rough. It just. Every good thing that that movie did, it went, hey, you want to see us erase it in five fucking seconds? Let's go. Like, how the fuck does an alien race that is, like, essentially (laughs) just murdered by water come to a planet that is, like, what, 96% water? Where I know, it's hella water here. Yeah, and they didn't even go to the desert. It's not (laughs) like they just went to fucking Egypt. No, like they went to farmland <laughs> where sprinklers going off would kill them. Like, what if they accidentally like went to like the fucking Amazon and they're just like, yeah, we're going to get all this shit rainfall all dead. They just show up in Seattle on a day that it happened to be sunny. And then this the next day they're all murdered. That is the worst invasion plan ever. My cat wants to be in this episode so bad. Oh. Anyway. And he is. He definitely is. Oh, he's all up in this episode. (laughs) Yes. He's just like, hey, let me get in front of you this whole time. Oh, hey, remember me? (laughs) 
All right. Anyway, you guys ready to go to uh, recommendations and scores? Yeah. Yeah. Recommendations and scores. All right, uh, Justin, go. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a recommend. It's, I mean, everything has already been said, man. This movie was a lot of fun. It's, um, it's very smart. It's well paced. the 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 acting is great. The story is intriguing, and really, the way he goes about telling the story is just like I said to me. It just felt so unique from anything that I've seen this year. So yeah, I'm definitely going to recommend it. And if you've seen it once already, I recommend seeing it a second time and picking it apart. Take another look at the scene, see what you missed, see like, look for the social commentaries, look for the, like the, the deeper meanings and stuff like that. It's even fun on a second watch to just catch all the little subtle clues he gave you to things that are going to happen in the movie later. So I even found the second watch to be fun and uh, entertaining. So, yeah, it's going to be a recommend for me. Um, We're going to go with a score of like, I should give this an A, but I don't know why I'm a little reserved on the A. Really? You're not going to give it an A? I was at I was at eighty eight, and I'm trying to. I can give it two more points, bare, dude. Bare minimum, I think you should give it a ninety one. And okay, I th- I'll split the difference. All right, how about this? And we'll go. How about this, Justin? Give it a ninety one right now. And if in the first part of spoilers, the movie I'm comparing it to doesn't make you think. Yeah, you're right. I do need to give this a 91 because of that. Then we'll stop there. If you don't agree with me, you'll stop. We'll stop. And we'll let you adjust your score then. Okay. That sounds fair. This is the first time Sterling told you what your score should be. <laughs> uh, well, I want to hear what you have to say. Well, what I'm going to do is I'm I'm going to go 90. How about that? That's fair. Okay. That's an A. That is a solid Hey, I'll split the difference with you, but I do want to hear what you say, because there's a movie that where I definitely got vibes from it. And I'm wondering if it's the same movie same. that I'm thinking. But anyway, yeah, yeah, it's good enough to be an A man. I, I don't think I can knock it off enough, any points enough to not be. So, yeah, we'll go 90. Man, that Gordy the Monkey scene was my absolute favorite scene of the movie. Out of a hundred, we have different favorite scenes. Um, Heather, what yes. about you? Yeah, I definitely think it's a good movie. Um, you know it. It just has all of these really subtle things about it. Like I was saying before, like just a masterclass of subtlety that just kind of makes you want more, makes you want to know more. It is, um, yeah, it's it's just really it's very entertaining and it really is enthralling. It draws you in pretty quickly. And I just, I love just the, I I just, I love the characters because I just feel like more than a lot of other movies I can think of off the top of my head, these characters are just very real people. Like, I feel like these are people I would know in my everyday life. 
And I think that that's really awesome to make the protagonists and the main characters of your story people that you legitimately just probably know, you know, and I think that's really cool. Um, And I do love that huge difference of personalities and how the brother and sister working together really just kind of helped make this amazing plan and do this amazing thing in this movie. And I just, I I thought it was really cool. Um, Yeah. And just great, just great. Like it, it just really a great storytelling um, movie really. And visually just very easy to watch for sure. Um, I, now I'm going to be judged harshly for this. I actually was also going to give it an 88 <laughs> um, right below, just because for me, really my only thing with this was I do think that the, the start of the movie was just a little bit slower than I would have liked just a little bit. Um, so the pacing at the beginning is the only reason it's not a complete a, but that's just me. Otherwise, it's a great film. <laughs> so I'm going to give it 88 um, horses named Jean Jacket out of 100. Man, you guys are crazy. Crazy with a capital K. Movie's good. Go watch it. Like, I don't know what you're doing. Just go watch it. Do yourself a favor. Ow, my cat literally is biting me right now as we were talking. Um, just go watch it. Do yourself a favor. Like I said, go watch this movie. Um, it's got everything you can want in a summer blockbuster. It's got everything you can want in a horror movie. It's got everything you can want in a Jordan Peele movie. It's got everything you would want in a movie. So just go watch it. That's all I'm going to say. Um, I'll give it 92. 92 uh, punching little kids in the face out of 100. <laughs> uh, spoilers? Yeah. Yeah. Spoilers. Okay, Justin. This movie is a beat-for-beat beat remake of fucking Jaws. Hmm. See, and that's the that's movie that I was, I was thinking. thinking. Yeah. Yeah. See, I, I caught the ending was a lot like Jaws. Dude, the whole I, setup is. I didn't is, catch the whole movie. Because. I didn't think the whole movie was like that. Outside of some of the Gordy stuff, you know what I mean? Outside of some of that, though. Dude, it's the whole idea of, you know, some things like horses start disappearing. People start disappearing. Just like in Jaws. You know? Um, it's essentially the, uh, what's his name? Steven Yeun, um, Glenn from the walking dead. He's essentially the mayor. His character is essentially the mayor Mm. from jaws, you know, the whole, like, yes, the whole ending with the whole, like doing the thing. So you can see where it's coming, trying to trap it, trying to, you know, get, get it and all this other stuff. Yeah. They're trying to take a picture of it, but it's essentially the same thing as them trying to catch the shark. You have, the whole beginning section of it is a lot like it because the beginning parts of it are kind of like when they're like, why are people missing? What's happening? All this other stuff. Then the middle section, when they're trying to, you know, take pictures of it, it's kind of like those scenes when they're just trying to get anybody out there to go catch it. You know what I mean? 
It's mm-hmm. it's all those sections. I mean, the ending is what is the most like it. But they they even have the the scene with the kids in the barn is the same as the scene with the kids in the fucking cardboard shark fin. You know, they both even mm. have the direct scenes of the kids playing the prank of what is going on. You know, uh, now it's on a it's on a okay. lesser scale because, you know, in Jaws, like everybody knew there were sharks, you know, and you have all the people on the beach. But it's still just so many of the beats are playing out just like that. You know, you even have the people coming just because they hear, you know, rumors, whatever. And, uh, you know, that guy on the motorcycle, the TMZ guy or whatever. That's just like, you know, people coming to, you know, just try to catch the shark and then get end up getting eaten by it and stuff. You know, because they just won't heed the warnings of anybody else. You know, it's just so much of this movie to me was Jaws. Even right down to you don't get a real good glimpse of what the fuck it is. Until the very end. Just like Jaws with Bruce the shark. You see the fins, you see some, you know, little bits of teeth. You hear, you know, you see little bits in here and there, but you don't really see Bruce. Until they're they're actively trying to catch it, you know. Yeah, and even down to like, and, and w- what did it for me, or where I kind of felt it was definitely at the end, and then even just the resolution, because how they got Jaws to eat something that ultimately killed it. Yeah, you know, and that's sort of, and that's pretty much what happened here. You know, they got Jean Jacket to consume something and that was ultimately its undoing. So a lot of that. And then even the whole thing about trying to get this cinematographer, you're the only one who can take a shot of this thing was kind of similar to that fisherman. You're the only one who can catch. So I started, I guess I just caught on to it late. Maybe some of those other elements of Jaws I kind of forgotten, but I totally was catching it towards the end for sure. But no, yeah, good stuff. And and, good and, stuff. and for me, I've I've watched Jaws this month, so oh, you know. here to catch it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Jaws is more fresh on my mind. Well, Plus, one of the oh, go ahead. What were you gonna say? It might be what I was gonna say. Was gonna say. Well, one of the big tells for me with it was even like the camera guy um when he's like doing the purple people eater song reminded me of like when they're when they're all singing in the boat doing the sea shanties yeah ah uh, that's what it wow. reminded me of so for me i was like that's so reminiscent of that for me that was a big that was a big one that reminded me of it for sure and instead of the sea it was kind of the sky you know mm-hmm. the way I'm just going to call it Jean Jacket because that's what they called it. (laughs) But the way Jean Jacket would move in the sky and so quick and it would come and you would see glimpses of it. And there'd be that music that or you would hear those screams of people, you know, uh, and stuff like that. Like, yeah, even that kind of was reminiscent of Jaws, just except instead of the, the, the sea, it was the sky. You know, yeah, and dude, think about this. That scene in Jaws, whenever they're like, "No, that's not the right shark. Let's go find the shark," and 
you know, they're just out on the boat and they're just doing all this stuff, trying to find it. And then all of a sudden they come across that other boat and, you know, guy goes downstairs, you know, or down in the water to find it, you know, finds the tooth, but then drops the tooth. And then that's when they're like, oh, we really need someone else's help. That's very much also the scene in this movie where they're doing all that stuff and, you know, OJ's trying to get back to the house in that pickup, but it, uh, or, or, or in the truck, but the truck dies. And then the, all the blood is pouring all over the house and stuff like that. That's very much that scene. That's very much the scene where they're like, we are infinitely in over our heads. You know? And so, like, that's what I'm saying is like, that's so much of this movie was Jaws to me. And the fact that you were able to re- essentially retell the story of Jaws, just like I said, almost a beat for beat remake with that stuff. Would they couldn't even do that in within the Jaws franchise? Like Jaws 2, <laughs> Jaws 3D, Jaws Revenge, none of them come close to the original Jaws. Just none of them come even close. And Jaws 2 is very much a fucking beat for beat remake of the fucking first Jaws. Like it's so much the same. And they still couldn't get it. And, and, and Jordan Peele just shows up and goes, oh, I can make Jaws. It did. And like I said, it still feels kind of new. And, the, and that's why I said I know it works with a different thing because we've seen it before with a shark. So I know it works in that way. And Jaws, for all intents and purposes, is considered a horror movie. You know? That's why I say this is a horror movie. Because in that regard, it like I said, it follows the same beats. So, that's what I would say about it. And that's why I think if you can successfully make, essentially make a remake of Jaws, I think that deserves at least a 91. <laughs> I mean, do you think that it was intentional that he did it so like yes. that? Yes. Okay. 100%. He's too genius not to. Yeah, you're the right. The entire <laughs> end of the movie is the end of Jaws. Right down to they were using the little squiggly men instead of the barrels. Like, that is 100% the end of Jaws. You'd have the disgruntled man that was the only one that could do it, like, save them in the end. It gets fucking taken out. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. The entire end of this movie is the end of Jaws. Like, and the, the, that's why I say that that was intentional. If it's not, that is the weirdest coincidence, I think, in the history of movies. It would have to be like he's writing this movie and happened to watch Jaws while he was writing this movie and accidentally wrote the end of Jaws. But I saw Jaws, I, I saw Jaws in this movie very, like, way, way more towards the beginning. That's why, to me, it has to be intentional. Because to me, it wasn't just the end. It wasn't just that shift. And to me, it it screams also the fundamental theme of Jaws, which is this is essentially a man versus nature story. Well, a man versus a force of nature, I should say. Which was what Jaws was, you know. So, yeah, to me, this, this has to be that. You know, so... That's why is it's if you can remake Jaws and actually make a good movie. It's at least an A. Come on. That's my logic behind it. Because 
That's fair. When you boil it down, I mean, there's a reason why so many people say, like, worst case scenario for Jaws. It's still one of the, like, what's it called? Uh, Like, best screenplays ever written. When you break down the actual, like, screenplay of Jaws. So, but anyway, that's my logic behind this. Um, you guys got, uh, any, any, any comments on that part of it? Oh, that's just a good observation. Like I, I saw like some similarities with Jaws, but I didn't even think about how beat for beat it was the same. Um, so yeah, no, it's it's a good observation that I hadn't heard anybody else really talk about. Jess, anything from you? No, I think that's everything I had as far as the the observation about Jaws. It was a good observation though. Yeah, you're all I can say is you're right. A lot of this does mirror the Jaws story. So good call on that. And yeah, and like I said, to me, that's why, and since it did it successfully to me, that's why it shouldn't be any less than a 90. That's just me. Anyway. Um, also though, I want to talk about my favorite scene in the movie. A, it's the best horror scene in the movie, and B, it's also one of the funniest scenes in the movie. Uh, it's in the whenever he goes to check on in, in the barn, and those fucking kids are dressed up like the aliens. Oh Holy yeah, fuck! That is an amazing scene. Yeah, yeah that was cool. <laughs> the way that he he shot it with the kids moving like aliens and all that shit. I was like, when that started, I was like, oh damn. Are, we'd go in there right now and it's going. And I'm like, that was some truly creepy shit. And then they're like, he's backing up and you see that alien poking its head around the corner. I'm like, Oh shit, we're going there. Okay. Like, and I know for a fact, one of the things he talked about, he Jordan Peele did talk about the movie science. And he said, the biggest mistake science made was showing the aliens at the end, you know, not the quick walk by stuff like that. It showed those were good scenes. He's like talking about the end of the movie. And I was like, okay. I was, and I was kind of confused because, like, he said that. I knew he said that. And then I'm like, okay, we're seeing the aliens hardcore right now. And then whenever that scene happens where that one's upside down next to him, and he just goes, oh, shit, and punches it in the face. I was like, oh, fuck, he just punched an <laughs> alien. And then it went to it being a kid in a mask. My reaction wasn't, oh, no. My reaction was like, haha, he fucking punched that kid. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> and kudos to him also if you notice later in the movie when it shows the kids one of them has a bruise on his face oh I didn't notice that mm-hmm. I saw that I saw that but that was a fucking dope scene I fucking loved it and it just showed that if he wanted to create like a slasher I, that, that's what I want now I want a Jordan Peele slasher film or like a creature film, kind of like something like The Descent or something like that, where he has like those types of creatures. 
because the way he shot that scene, I was like, oh, I want that movie now. I want that scene because that was so glorious whenever it's just focusing on that door. And then all of a sudden you see the, the kid or the alien start moving. I was like, oh, fuck. That was expertly shot. And then, like I said, was funny as fuck in the end, too. Because, like I said, fuck that kid. Punch him in the face. And then I also liked that the, the scene he had with his sister right after that, too. When he's sitting there and he goes. And she's like, man, that's fucked up. And all this other stuff. And she's like, he's like, well, we we did steal his horse. And she goes, you right. You right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, that was a great fucking scene with that, though. Overall, I just really fucking loved it. And, you know, just in general, I'm like that that scene right there, because we're what, like a third of the way through the movie, maybe a little bit further at that point. When that scene happened, I was like, you know, I was I was on board for this movie. I was enjoying it. But when that scene happened, I was like, oh, this movie's going to be great. Like that that scene right there is when I knew the movie was going to be great. <laughs> and I was right. Because like I said, I fucking loved it. I just, everything about that scene was just so expertly shot. Like, I just think that they should just start showing that scene in film classes, not to take away from the rest of the movie. Cause the rest of the movie is incredibly well shot too. But like that right there to me showed somebody that a loves horror movies and B respects them, you know, because that is, it's just to me, that's one of the best horror shots I've seen in a movie in a long time. Like just at the, the level of just sheer movie making prowess. To me, that's the best shot in a horror movie I've seen in so long. You know, because it was genuinely creepy as fuck. And then ended with a solid laugh, solid joke. You know, but like I said, and that's what makes me want to like see that movie where it's like, you know, like a family moves into a house or something like that or moves in somewhere And it's just like infested with goblins or something. You know what I mean? Like that, that I want to see that movie from him now because he has it. And like, to me also, that would have been a great shot in something like us because of how it references the cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers. Like that's how those things should move. That's how a chud moves, (laughs) you know? But and it is reminiscent of that. It's reminiscent of like the way they would move in the underground or the underneath or whatever in us. Like, but I'm just like, man, that was so fucking perfectly shot. And it's just like that. Like I said, I was, I was enjoying the movie, but like from that point on, I was like, okay, Jordan, I see what you're doing here. Let's go. Let's just do the rest of this movie. Now let's fucking go. And then also, as much as I don't like that mo- this the movie I'm about to talk about, I did like the the camera guy, the cinematographer. Um, he was uh, like the main bad guy in Crow. So, mm. ah. 
Okay, I knew he looked familiar. I don't remember what his name was, like Two Cent Bill or something like that. I don't remember. But no, he was, yeah, he was in Crow. And I don't like Crow. Crow's right up there with Metallica for me, overrated as fuck. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) I had to drop it in there because apparently I found this out from Justin yesterday. I've got like anti fans for my my takes on Metallica. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> and now that I know that you should. And now that I know they're out there, you just want to poke them a little bit. <laughs> that sounds right. Yeah. And I want them to know, though, I want them to know sincerely. This isn't a bit. This isn't a joke. Nothing like that. Sincerely. This is from the bottom of Sterling's three times too small heart. St. Anger is their best album. Just get over it. <laughs> oh. Oh. Just get over it. They cut their hair. They looked sharp as fuck. And they made their best album. They peaked. They peaked at St. Anger. And I genuinely mean that. Like, sincerely. I want you to know out there, I... I have never said a more honest statement in my life that St. Anger is their best album to me. Anyway, that's enough of that. But for all the haters out there, (laughs) that's just going to be one of those things like to me, like, I don't know. I mean, like, as much as I hate Ronald Reagan, I'm completely apathetic towards uh, Metallica in the same way. You know, so like however much you view my hostility towards Reagan, view my apathy towards Metallica the exact same way. Because I'm just that apathetic towards them. And like I said, now that I know that there are people that have been genuinely bothered by that, I just want to drop it every, every once in a while from now on. Just gonna drop it because I have to. So I hope you're out there, Metallica fans, knowing that I feel that way, and I mean it truly. I believe that. Poor unfortunate soul. I know they are for being such Metallica fans. I 100% agree with your sentiment, Justin, that they are poor and fortunate souls for being <laughs> no, Metallica fans. about you for liking St. Anger. I, I feel so sorry for you. You were completely unclear with your statement. Therefore, I'm right. <laughs> anyway, um, back to the nope. Uh, no, I also, I genuinely loved every one of those scenes where some shit's going down and Daniel Kaluuya just goes, nope. And just says, fuck it to a horror trope. I loved (laughs) every single fucking one of those scenes. Because apparently Mm -hmm. that was Jordan Peele's inspiration for why it's called Nope. Is that mentality. That stereotype of black people watching or being in horror movies and some shit going down and them saying Nope. And the fact that he put that in the movie... And it is 100% the right reaction to have. Makes it even better. That's what I'm saying is there is social commentary in this movie. It's just subtle, but it's there. 
because at no point when Daniel Kaluuya, every single time he did that, that is the single right reaction. You know, you've got this alien sucker thing right above you and it just killed your car. Yeah, the right reaction is to say nope and lock the doors and wait it out. Yes, 100% made the right choice. And you just fell asleep in there. So I'll sleep in here if I have to. Yeah. Yeah. But I loved that. I loved that he took a trope and, and didn't make it a character trait, but made it a character reaction that was the right one. Because all the people that didn't do that all's died. So just saying. That's why you always hear like a lot of stand up comedians um, talk about something like, you know, like, you know, oh, if, you know, like there's a reason why, you know, like it's always white people in horror movies because they're the ones that will go check out the creepy noise and do all this bullshit that no human should ever actually do. You know, when they're like, oh, we're out here. Oh, I just heard somebody scream like they got murdered. Let's go see what happened. When the real reaction is like, hey, why don't we not go over there to the murder scene? Yeah. And I like that he took that. Because you always have like a bunch of comedians always talk about how like black people would never do that. And like I said, I love how he took that, that trope or that stereotype and turned it whilst having it in the movie. And made it, like I said, the right choice. Because that's why they live. And other people don't. Because, yeah, when shit goes down like that, yeah, that should be your reaction. It's kind of like what I mentioned during in the Stranger Things episode. When we were talking about all the shit that Eddie was going through. He's like, I always run away. And I'm like, you just saw a woman float up in the air and start contorting and bone breaking. Yeah. Yeah, you run away. That is the right reaction. Or when you're in a boat and people are chasing you down to murder you and one of them starts floating and doing the same shit. Yeah, what do you do? You fucking keep rolling. Definitely nope situation. Yeah, you say nope and you get the (laughs) fuck out of there. That is the only correct reaction. And that's why, spoiler alert, OJ lives at the end of the movie because he wasn't dumb. And whenever the the situation warranted, what did he do? He said, nope. And he lived for it. Just saying. Should be a lesson we all learn. Yeah. And I think another aspect of that that I really appreciated is that it sort of helped his character at the end, too. Whenever he had his sort of brave cowboy moment and he did look up at the jean jacket beast and everything and sort of provided that distraction for his sister you know he spent a lot of the initial part of the movie doing the nope and nope i'm getting out of here and you know i'm not gonna you know deal with this right now and stuff like that but i like how it kind of comes full circle whenever he does have to stand up to jean jacket to 
you know, to to make a way for his sister to be able to escape. So I think that that was a very kind of round the way moment with that, too, because he's sort of like we kind of compared him to like that silent. But, you know, the silent kind of stoic kind of cowboy kind of in this in this. And I think it was very fitting how earlier in the movie that those nope moments was was kind of him saying, I'm not going to be the cowboy, you know, nope, this ain't, this ain't the situation for me to try to face this thing. Nope. I'm not getting out of this car. Nope. You know, that was kind of what we saw early, but then he really has that cowboy moment um, at the end of the movie, you know? And then um, whenever uh, she sees him, you know, after the the whole resolution and Jean Jacket is defeated and everything like that. And then they kind of do that. They kind of do that Western like shot. And I mean, that it was Western like music and everything where he's sitting there on the horse and it's almost like a sunset moment. You know what I mean? At the end of a Western movie. So I think all of that played into this character, you know, and I think that even if the plot points are like Jaws, what definitely sets it apart is that stuff. It's the, the it is what sets it apart is just Jordan Peele's brand of, of social commentary and metaphors and symbolism and stuff like that. And I think that it's that part of it that uh, that kind of makes it feel so unique and fresh and just like that whole thing, taking that nope thing, but still sort of making it a moment for this character, you know, for this character's arc, so to speak. Oh, yeah, you're absolutely right on that. And the, and the thing is, too, that I don't want somebody to misconstrue me when I say it is like a beat for beat remake of Jaws. Because the characters are different. You know, the characters are different. It might have like story wise, like I guess in a way you could call it the action scene at the end and things like that. It is point for point like Jaws, but because you have such different characters that are also very well developed. I get exactly what you're saying because it's Jaws, but it feels a little different. You know what I mean? Like it is Jaws at its core. Like it's bones. The bones of that those scenes are 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 made of Jaws, but it's different muscles. It's different skin. It's different, you know, organs. You know what I mean? But that bones, the foundation of it, is Jaws. You know. So, like, I, I do agree with you, and that's why you're you're absolutely right. And I I hope I said it earlier because I I thought this that it does still feel unique. Like, while I said like it does rip off Jaws, I didn't when I said that. Like I said, I I didn't mean that in a bad way, and and like I said, that's why I thought it was funny that you said the word unique because it is a testament to Jordan Peele that he's able to beat for beat do Jaws, but it feels different. Because of how skilled he is at what he does. He can take that foundation and make a different movie. You know, I'm not going to say it's better. I'm not going to say it's the same or anything like that. He makes a different movie 
while still having that same foundation. And it just goes to show what he is capable of that I think very few directors could. You know, because like we've both talked about and everything, he weirdly combined Western character tropes with Jaws. It's like if you put a cowboy in the movie Jaws. And he he blended that seamlessly without having a shark or technically a cowboy. I mean, you can argue that Stephen Young's character was a cowboy. Certainly liked to portray himself as one. But you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's it's that uniqueness. And also, like, I, I, I do agree with you, Justin, though, or when earlier when you brought up the Gordy sequence. I do love that Gordy element because it does that does help it change from the formula of Jaws a little bit. That's something a little bit different in there. But I love how while it's a different situation, it's the exact same situation as the movie. It's the unpredictability of essentially an animal, which is what they were talking about in reference to Jean Jacket. You know, they were trying to tame it and break it like they would a horse. And while they were doing it, they were like, oh, shit, this isn't working like we thought. You know. And it goes to the unpredictability of it all. But then until they until they realized its patterns. And then started using those against it because of their, their their experience with training animals. And while that might be the common point, but I loved the story of Gordy was the same way. Everything was fine. Everything was whatever. Because they thought they trained the animal. The tra- animals trained completely fine. Would never be danger. You can be the best trainer in the world. And when it boils down to it, it's still a fucking animal. You know? And like, I mean, in, I, I don't know about you guys, but like, I've, I've heard tons of stories about people like they've raised a chimp from like it was a baby and it's like 15 now. And all of a sudden it goes ape shit and fucking murders people. Because ultimately when it boils down to it, it's still a chimp. And as much as we do put our own human characteristics onto chimps, when it boils down to it, they're not people. I mean, shit, people aren't even that fucking predictable when it really boils down to it. How many times do you hear stories about people that have been married for 15 years and all of a sudden they find out that their spouse is like a gambling addict or cheating on them or doing all this bullshit and they feel like they never knew them? It's the same thing. You can't, you know, just because you predict one thing or think one thing, you really have no idea. And I liked those elements of the unknown in this. And I liked how the idea, I, I also loved something they brought up in this movie, the idea of the bad miracle. Like, cause that's what OJ talks about with his dad dying. It was a bad miracle. And if you look at it, so much of this movie references back to the idea of the bad miracle, that whole storyline with Gordy. And him being the one kid that lived or the one person that lived and Gordy walking up to him and still doing the fist bump because, you know, that's what he did on the show together. You know, like all that shit happened. He killed all these other people and attacked all these other people. But when he saw him, he was like, oh yeah, that's my friend. It was a weirdly, it was a bad miracle that he lived. And I loved that whole shot too, of that shoe just sitting there. 
with the one drop of blood on it. Well, standing, it wasn't even sitting with standing and how he took it. And like I said, he viewed it as the bad miracle. So then what happens later in the movie? Because to him, he saw it as still, he saw it more as a miracle than a bad miracle. So what happened at the end of the movie? He did the same thing with fucking jean jacket. And it got his ass killed, got his family killed, got everybody in the crowd killed. Because he kind of had this sense of untouchability. Because of that Gordy sequence. And I I, I loved that, that, that storyline that goes through most of the movie because of that. I thought it was incredibly fabulous. Plus, I like the idea of just the idea of the bad miracle. Because I don't think that that's something we talk about a lot. Like, you know, like you might have those crazy things like there's, and I don't even know if it's true, but like there's the urban legend of the guy that was, that survived the first nuclear bomb in Japan only to go home and his home was where the second one was dropped. So the idea of it was essentially, that's the idea of the bad miracle. He survived one nuclear blast just to go to another one. So it's miraculous. Ultimately bad though. So I just love that concept. And I don't, I just don't think it's anything that I've heard of people like actually putting a term to. You know, we've, we all have examples of them and have heard stories about them. And it's not even, it's like a fancy term. It's just bad miracle. It's like, you know, but just that phrase, I think was an incredibly poignant phrase that I loved how they, and they demonstrated it throughout the movie. I love that. Uh, Heather, what about you? Yeah, no, I agree with that. And when you were talking about your favorite scene with the, the kids that were dressed up like the aliens. I, I really love that scene too, because I was like, okay, if this is the level of like creepy that we're going to get, I'm in for it. I'm so I guess maybe if I had to pick something that I'm a little bit bummed about is like, I would have actually kind of loved that to be sort of (laughs) like what the aliens were, because that was super creepy. They're just like hanging off the side and like moving all weird. And, you know, creeping around in the dark and it was just really good. And it kind of reminded me of um, the two girls in uh, Lovecraft country um, when, you know, they're kind of like bending over and they're like very menacing and terrifying looking, but they're kind of like following you, but they're kind of like moving like rag dolls. It's like that whole concept of it. And it reminded me of that. And that's, that was the best thing in that show too. But, but I think um, I really kind of thought it would have been cool if that really was what the aliens were. You know, I think that would have been a really interesting approach to take in this movie because it, that was the creepiest scene, but it was kind of a fake out, which is kind of a bummer, but still a good scene. And I'm still glad they did it. But if I, if there's anything I would say maybe add or change is, have a little bit of that or something. I, I don't know. I just liked the idea of that being what was going on. Um, and I really enjoyed, uh, and I didn't say this earlier, but I really enjoyed um, Stephen Yun in this too. I thought he was fantastic. Um, it was just really cool to see him in a role like this. Like, I mean, he, again, like Jordan Peele is super genius with everything he does with film, like even his casting choices, you know, 
Like he's so good with it because I love that he does a diverse cast. I love that he does very diverse characters in, in these movies. Um, but just the specific people that he picks, like Steven Yeun is so good and just kind of the, the way that he portrays the character in this is so like, you just know that there's more to him. Like you can just tell almost immediately that he is trying to save face that he's, you know, trying to cover up how he really feels about things. Like when he's telling the story about what happened with the, the set of the show and you know, the way he's telling it and this like, Oh yeah, you saw on SNL what happened, right? Like really trying to, make it into a lighter situation than it was because he was still so traumatized by it. And that was super interesting because I didn't know where that was going. Kind of like what we said before, like I didn't even know how that was tying into anything here and just how basically that whole situation and everything that he went through there is still very much a part of who he is, but also a very big part of why he's doing what he's currently doing at this ranch or whatever it is he's doing. And like seeing him have that connection that he had with the chimp, he, he was wanting that again. And he thought that he had this connection with, you know, with these aliens or these, these life forces because of what happened with the chimp. And it just felt like he was just kind of like trying to get back to that point or trying to feel he was, it felt like he was, you know, sacrificing these horses and doing these things because he just, he, it's almost like he wanted to understand this better, but like also really thinking he had a special connection when it turned out he didn't, but it's just because of that one experience that he had and he was so fixated on it that it just completely took over the remaining parts of his life. And it was just a really interesting approach with this character because at first you think like he's kind of the antagonist, right? He's kind of the guy that is, you know, causing the, um, the family to have these problems and everything, but you just kind of get to see a glimpse into his character and, you're just kind of like, oh, it's more than that. It's so much more than that. It's not just a an antagonist for the sake of it. Like you understand his motives. You understand why he's doing it. Even if you don't agree and think it's right, you understand him and why he's where he's at, you know? And and I just thought that was a really cool thing. And Steven Yeun was so good. Like I just, I just really love him as an actor. I think he's a really good actor. Um, but... Yeah, and and again, I just really can't speak enough to the subtleties of these characters. And you're completely right. Like um, Daniel Kaluuya and his character, just I I loved the scene, especially when he's like in the in the truck and he tries to get out and he sees the the thing hovering over his car and he's like, nope, not doing it, you know. And he just camps out, you know, and it didn't even phase him and just how quick he is to think about like how to survive this. And it was just really just seeing unfold and seeing sort of even in flashbacks, you're seeing why he's thinking the way he is about things. And um, 
that was just really cool. Like he he very much is not a guy that speaks a lot in this movie. It's kind of like he's still waters run deep kind of guy where when he says something, it's of value and it's important for them as far as like how they're going to survive. But otherwise, he doesn't say much. You know, he's very to the point. He's very like, I'm only going to speak if it's going to matter for anything. You know, he's completely the opposite of his sister. Right. But their teamwork and I just I love how they came up with this really good plan for how to try and capture this thing in some way or another. I love the plan they came up with and how they all really kind of use their skills and work together to create a really smart plan from what I could tell. Like it just seemed like a very smart idea, um, you know, with the exception of people like the film guy was weird at the end there with what he did. But, you know, it just... I, I like that they came up with a plan that was very smart and thought out. Like they had it methodically planned out and I loved watching that unfold. I loved watching each step of it and they're like, okay, here we go. We're all set. This is the next thing. And I loved watching that whole, that whole scene and that whole sequence of them playing out this plan that they made it was really, really cool. Um, and even just like, as stoic as Daniel Kaluuya's character was, he was still very scared. And you could tell that just how he's just like, you know, don't look at it. Don't look at it. And anytime that thing was near him, he was breathing heavy as he was trying to look down. Like he just kind of had to take care of business though, you know? And it was just really, I just, I just love the way that they portrayed these characters. Like it was just very like, putting myself in that situation, I'm one of them for sure. Like they're just very real people having real reactions to what's going on and not the cinematic version of what would be happening. And I really appreciated that attention to detail that was put into that. Um, you know, and I think that the, um, I, I was so curious about this whole, like how this chimp was going to play into things. Like it was so, jarring at first to see them to see the chimp and like this the the scene you know and like what was going on around him and i'm just like when is this coming into play and like what does it even mean you know but then i mean i just how they told that story within the story was really really well done um you know and and for what it's worth you know i know i said that i think the beginning parts of the movie were a little bit slower that's not to say it was bad. You know what I mean? Cause there was, there was certain parts that you obviously needed um, to be able to connect the dots later on in the movie. But you know, it, it just, aside from just that slow bit of pacing at the beginning, everything else, just the way that they tell it and everything unfolding and you're seeing how these things all connect. It's just really cool. Like it just really speaks to the genius of, Jordan Peele's writing like I'm just not gonna be able to say enough about how genius I think that he is in in all the ways <laughs> like he's just so on top of it and I just appreciate his craft really but he um I don't know I, I think that it was I I kind of I think I agree with you Sterling as far as yeah I could see it being classified as horror but I guess for me I would put it in like the sci-fi thriller genre 
more than anything. But it, it is one of those where, you know, kind of like his other movies, it's like, what do you really classify this movie as? You know, it could be a bunch of different things, but, and that's kind of the cool thing about it. It's like, really, it's kind of a lot of different genres in one. And it's what you take out of it. I mean, honestly, some of it can be considered comedy. Like if you think about Get Out and like, he's got elements of every genre being pulled into his movies in some way. And it's really, really cool and creative. Like there's the drama elements and the comedy and the action and the thriller part of it, the sci-fi and the horror. Like there's just all of that in this movie and in all of his movies really. So um, I think that's why it's hard to classify it. It's not like he's misguided in what he is doing. Like who was that other director where we had that problem with it? Um, the guy that whoever it was that did Midsummer, when we were like, we don't know what to classify this movie as. Avi Aster. <laughs> yeah. So like that, it's more of like a, I think you thought you were doing something here that you didn't actually do. Whereas Jordan Peele, his movies, you're like, no, you're like pulling in everything. So it is literally all of these things. And you, any genre that you say it is, you're probably right. That's kind of how I feel about his movies. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I just, I do, I think it had some really great elements of the scary factor. Like when you kind of see that, um, the part, like when, when all of the, the people in the audience dis- disappear and they're kind of like consumed into this thing and you kind of see the little like flashing moments of what's happening when they're in there, that's terrifying. <laughs> that's absolutely terrifying. Cause you're like, you still don't actually know what's happening. You just hear screams and you see bits and pieces and flashes, but you still don't really fully know what is happening. And that is scary because you know, it's bad, but you still, it's, there's still that element of mystery of when these things happen, we still don't fully know what's going on, you know? And, and I think that that's part of what I was talking about earlier with, you have questions about this but in a good way, you're just like, man, you made that so interesting that I just really want to know more about what, what was going on, you know? Um, so I think that's, that's why I say they're good questions. Like the way that they make it so terrifying, you're like, oh man, like I know it's bad, but I just feel like I want to know fully more. Like, what is this thing? What is it doing to them? Um, and again, a good testament to storytelling master class like that's what you want you want someone to be like i love what you did there and it just made me want more of that so i understood it better so yeah i i just i i don't know it's i did have to sit on this one because they you know it's not like it was a hard to follow movie but it was just like there's layers to it there's layers to this movie there's things that you can pull out of it down the line that maybe you didn't think of right away um which is kind of like all of his movies really but yeah, I don't know. I just, I really did enjoy it. Like, I, I had to sit on it and be like, you know what? Yeah, I did enjoy it before I fully said that because of just how much you have to take in from just the tone of the movie and everything. But um, there was an interesting thing I heard about, like, a theory that um, Daniel Kaluuya's character, maybe he actually wasn't there. Maybe it was her imagining that he was there. Because he's standing in front of that thing that said um, out yonder or whatever. Like maybe it was just her imagining that he was back and he wasn't. 
I don't know what you guys think about that. I don't think that's true, but I thought it was an interesting thing that I wouldn't have thought about. So you're talking about at the end of the movie. Yeah. I mean, it, it can play either way. I don't think it's really affects the movie one way or another, honestly. Yeah, that's true. It can have either ending and it's still good. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think the movie actually plays out the same either way, you know, because if he died and that's his ghost. Okay. There's still, there's nothing after that scene. You know what I mean? So to me, uh, I don't know. The movie is no better or no worse, depending on whichever ending, if he's alive or not based on that scene. It's like to me, you still see me anyway. So it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. And the way that, the scene before it kind of plays out um, that I was kind of alluding to earlier where he finally is able to, where he finally looks up at Jean Jacket and kind of provides that distraction and him and Kiki have that moment and he gives her the, I've got my eyes on you kind of sign kind of, of approval that he gave her when they were kids and everything. And it was almost like, this is your moment. You know, this is your turn. You didn't get to have that moment. They talked about that earlier, how she was supposed to have a horse. She was supposed to kind of be one of those people, but she wasn't allowed to do that. She kind of wasn't allowed to have that moment. And then whenever he does that, you see Jean Jacket, the the monster head towards him, and you don't really know what happens. He just kind of, we don't see any more of him. And then he kind of turns around and directs his attention to her and then chases her into the um, Jupe Amusement Park cowboy salon place. So, I mean, could he have sacrificed himself in that moment so that she could ultimately have this um, moment at the end and actually defeat Jean Jacket? Yeah, I could see it going that way by the way that scene was and it would totally fit. And if he lived at the end of that, let's just say he somehow got away or before Jean Jacket could get him, it, Jean Jacket was more fixated on her and just followed her. And, and the ending was the same and he survived. I think it's kind of like what Sterling is saying. Either way, it's effective. Either way, he did what he needed to do to allow his sister to be able to, um, not only kill the monster, but get the Oprah shot, so to speak. So I think it works either way, honestly. But if he died, I, 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 I don't hate that. You know, if he died and she just saw him there as the hero cowboy at the end because of his sacrifice, I'm not mad at that. I'm not mad at anybody that might have interpreted it that way. Yeah. What else? What 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 are some more of your thoughts, Justin? Go ahead and keep going. Yeah. So um, so just so really quickly to talk about the the Gordy scene one more time. What I loved about that scene the most is just even though I knew it was a memory, and even though I knew that this was kind of a flashback. What an unsettling, just 
nerve wracking scene that that was, even though I knew that this was a flashback, even though I knew that Jupe survived this still just the way that it was done and the way that they told the story. And I thought that it was a brilliant decision to show a little bit of the aftermath of Gordy at the beginning where you kind of, the movie starts and we don't really know where we are. We're kind of hearing audio of the show. And then all of a sudden, you know, there's, there's this bloody and Z just kind of strolling around. And it looks like, you know, you see a body near him and, everything's in chaos and then he's just kind of messing around and then we see him kind of look at us into the camera or what we think is us he kind of looks into the camera but what was cool is when we then get the the jupe flashback now we realize you know in that flashback comes the realization that oh he was looking at jupe you know what I mean? So I thought that that was very cool, too. It was just a little subtle thing that was done with the storytelling. But I thought that that was so cool how we get that scene again. And when Gordy looks, now we realize, oh, he's looking at him. And man, like that was just so effectively shot. You never really saw all the gore. You never really saw him rip and tear flesh, but you heard it. You know what I mean? And the sound editing was just so good at those parts. Even when the screen would go dark or a camera would malfunction or whatever, and you would hear this ripping and tearing of flesh. It was just like unsettling. Or like when he chased the guy and, and, and like it was so cool how they avoided it being so gory and violent to take away from the moment. So in those moments, it kind of captured your imagination, just like, you know, Jaws, what we've been talking about this whole time. That's what makes Jaws a classic is the it, it, it wasn't what it showed you. It was what it didn't show you. So I really appreciated that Gordy scene because you would see him bashing someone, but, you know, the door is swinging back and forth. So you don't quite get a sense. You're not seeing a face being bashed in. You're not seeing a face being eaten, but you're just imagining the pain of that and what this animal must be doing. And man, that final shot, when he sort of approach, when he's approaching Jupe, and we get that close up, I mean, which I'm sure was CGI, right? But man, that yeah. was some good looking CGI. Like, <laughs> well, the reason, and one part of the reason for that too is because of what they said in the movie don't use chimps. Yeah, you can't use them. Yeah, because yeah. it's so dangerous. Oh, yeah, they CGI'd all of that just because, yeah, it would be too dangerous to have a real chimp. Yeah. Like, yeah, cool. they used to, but there's a reason why chimps are no longer in movies. Yeah, and I'm not even saying even if it was, but, you know, there there are still practical effects. You could have made something and somebody could have, you know, there are other that ways hand, you could have like had an actual hand might chimp. Have been. Yeah, that chimp hand, you know, when it was going, that mm. might have been a like a prosthetic. You are right yeah. on that. Yeah, could have yeah. been. So so that's sort of what I was alluding to. But either way, that looked great. 
And it was just so like scary, like him bending down under that table. And then you could see the teeth and everything and the blood. I just thought that that was, I will never forget that scene. Like, oh. I will never forget that scene. And like, you're talking about. And then he gets headshotted uh, right in yeah. front of the kid. Like the kid gets yeah. monkey blood on his face or a blood on his face. Was, yeah. And it was so intense. I mean, I felt so much intensity in that moment, just the fist bump and their fists going towards each other. Everything was so just intense. And then all of a sudden, blam, gets his head blown off. Like, like you were talking about, you want to see him direct a slasher, man. I mean, when it's time to do a reboot of planet of the apes, I think I kind of want Jordan Peele to tackle it. <laughs> I think I yeah. kind of want him to do that. I get what you're saying, but and I know Matt Reeves didn't direct the first one. But Matt Reeves kind of ended that trilogy a little too perfect. Just let it in there. I get what you're saying, though, Justin. I get it. Yeah, you know, and I'm some of that is in jest, but I'm just saying, man, that was I will never forget that scene. But Another thing that's so great about it is this Jupe character who I don't feel like was in this movie a lot, but he's such a pivotal character to like so many things like you guys talked about the the whole thing, obviously, with this trauma and everything like that. And then him thinking he can tame this alien thing or that he has this kinship with this alien thing, which, you know, he's no Morbius, you know, you don't get the kinship, man. You just don't have it, you know, but he thought, you know, maybe he sort of had this kind of relationship with, uh, edibles or things like that because of the bad miracle that you guys talked about. And ultimately that was his undoing. But there are other things about Jupe that I think are great. Just, um, just one second. Did you really fucking bring Morbius up in this? Yeah, Did I had really. To, I had Did to, you dog. really on, bring man. Morbius? We saw he had the ultimate kinship, man. Somebody else got the blood powers and had no kinship. So I think Morbius is now the standard bearer of animal human kinships. Anyway, do not um, come here. With he's the, the same anger of animal human that. kinships. There you go. Uh, <laughs> so, um. But what's important about Jupe also, I, 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 I think, okay, so obviously there was this whole thing about mankind's or people in general's obsession with the spectacle. Like they talked about that constantly, like the, the, the spectacle. You know, Jupe was, when he was first talking to them, he was like, well, what I've, you know, that, that show with me and Gordy, that was a spectacle. You know what I mean? It was this, this monkey and this family and the ratings were so good and everything like that. So at that time, that was like a big spectacle. And then he sort of with the jean jacket monster, he was trying to create this spectacle with, you know, having his own show and, you know, trying to, bank off of some past success when he was this cowboy on this other show and all that good stuff. But he kept talking about the spectacle and he kept talking about like people's obsession with it. And we saw that with 
you know, these two characters, this brother and this sister, what were they trying to do? They were trying to get this this Oprah shot right, this shot, this proof that there are these extraterrestrials and these things in hopes of getting famous, you know, in hopes of creating a spectacle based on this video or this picture. Um, the the cinematographer, you know, the the shot that he got with his non-electric camera wasn't good enough. You know, there had to be this better shot. There had to be this ultimate shot, this ultimate glory that he was trying to get, you know, um, him saying that you guys aren't worthy of the impossible, but somehow he was and trying to get this ultimate shot inside of the monster or whatever. I think all of that is very telling about this, this kind of obsession we have, you know, both sides of it. There are people trying to make a spectacle of themselves and then I think as just there are these there are normal people, though, that are obsessed with that stuff constantly. You know, anytime something crazy happens on social media or Facebook and stuff like that, what gets the most views and what gets the most likes? The spectacle stuff. You know what I mean? The stuff where something crazy is happening and all these people want to look and view at it and stuff like that. And back to Jupe. I think it was very fitting that he called Jean Jacket the viewers. Do you remember that when he when when he was doing the show and he said we're being surveilled by these extraterrestrials and everything and I called them the viewers. And so that just started racking my brain, you know. And then you have the the TMZ guy on the motorcycle or whatever. Um and him trying to get this shot and him breaking himself, falling off that bike. And all he was worried about was, did you get the shot? Did you get the shot? So I think that there was definitely something here about our obsession with that. You know, like the obsession with the spectacle, whether you are drawn to it as a viewer or whether you have to have it because you think that that's going to be like the ultimate source of fame for you and stuff like that. And this monster kind of in the way, even though, you know, we're rooting for the humans who are fighting the monster. I think it's just interesting that he called that Jupe called the monster, the viewers. And so I started thinking about that, you know, um, could we kind of metaphorically be this monster? You know what I mean? This life-sucking, consuming thing that just consumes and consumes, nourishes it or satiates that spectacle or whatever it is. The rest of it is just kind of thrown to the wayside. And the people that are left to deal with it, and most of the time the people that are left to deal with that and pick up with that is the crew, right? You know, I think it's very fitting that um, that OJ was wearing that crew shirt, that Scorpion King kind of crew shirt. I don't know. I just feel like all of this is kind of connected in a way. Like, and I'm wondering if part of Jordan Peele's message was, is that this is what we do. We just, as consumers, you know, we're called 
consumers, you know, viewers and consumers is kind of synonymous, right? And I wonder if there was just something in there about that. I wonder if this monster kind of represented what we do when we sort of consume a spectacle, right? We consume it. We consume it. We can't stop talking about it, this, that, and the other. And then it's almost like we regurgitate that, and then it's on to the next story. Nothing ever sticks. Well, with that, Justin, I think it's also interesting, too, with that idea, because one of the defining traits of the monster itself was that it didn't want to be seen or video. Yes. And yes, it's kind of like how we would treat things like that. Like we do treat celebrity status or public figures or anything like that. Like they are there ours to consume. But if anybody was to, to flip it back onto us and do the exact same thing to us, we would hate it. Man, great observation. See, I knew I was onto something, and I think you saying that just kind of affirmed it for me because you're absolutely right. That's what this thing was. It didn't want to be seen. It was hiding and sometimes almost in plain sight, right? Like it was like it was hiding and then it would come out, it would consume, 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 and then didn't want to be seen. And it sort of resembled, didn't that, when it op- when it finally opened itself up and the the thing that was doing the sucking was like this box, almost like a, a balloon or a camera or something. I don't know, that box, you know, to me, that was just very distinct, you know? Well, it, it kind of did look like a camera, like that, you know, that box thing that would come out of it did look like a camera. In a lot of ways, or you could argue a camera or a screen. Yeah. A screen like that. Yeah. So I think all of that was definitely in there. And so you have these characters kind of start off. They want, you know, they're trying to create a spectacle, but then it kind of became something more than that for them. You know, it sort of became self-fulfilling for their arcs and their relationship as brother and sister and everything like that whilst trying to accomplish this mission. But I really think that Jordan Peele was saying something about that, you know? Um, Also the stuff about just how I think, and I think there might've been a little tidbit in there and maybe I'm reaching, but I felt like I saw it. This is the last one I have that I really wanted to talk about, but I think there's something in here too about like how difficult of a time, I guess you could say that I guess minorities or people of color have had just in show business and stuff like that. Like there were a lot of examples, like of course the obvious example is their great grandfather, right? The first technically, technically the first movie star the first stunt person riding on this horse, totally forgotten about, you know, kind of totally forgotten about. Um, The spectacle of taking minorities or animals, you know, animals, things like that, and putting them in situations 
that they definitely wouldn't be in or don't fit and making that something that's endearing like they did with this Gordy the monkey, uh, air bud, <laughs> golden receiver, um, freaking look who's talking. Um, how many shows were there are lions and tigers and stuff that are pets and just these noble things with the friends with these humans somehow take on these human characteristics at times or just understand human shit and always reacting to it. You know what I'm saying? Uh, the Jupe character was an Asian that was a sheriff in a Western show. Like, like, you know, why that would never happen, but it was a hit. You know what I'm saying? Like it would, but it was a hit and he sort of rose to fame, but then all that fame was just kind of lost really quickly. You know what I'm saying? Like, so now he's trying to pick up the pieces doing this. I think there was something in there about that. Um, I remember Kiki's character when she was looking at all the figures and stuff like that. I remember her focusing on uh, the black actor that was a co-star of his and she went, oh, that black, that little black boy, he was really good. Whatever happened to him? And the question was never answered. You know, just another character forgotten about. So I don't know. I think there was something in here about that, too. You know what I mean? Well, with some of that stuff, too. I mean, if you look at it, if you want to draw a direct connection to our childhoods and stuff like that, look at Family Matters. Yeah. You know, like how many of the kids in that kind of went in to do nothing, but they were a big part of our culture for how long? Yeah, for the longest time. Same with the the Huxtables. I mean, even uh, Bud from the Cosby show, like things like that, like these, you know, for they were ingrained into us for how long? And then they just kind of went away, you know? Yeah. Look at, uh, uh, oh, fuck. Um. Oh, boy, from the Goonies. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. The guy yeah. played Short Round, played, was in the Goonies, did fucking nothing because they used him as a kid. And then they're like, yeah, we don't got nothing for you now. So he went was doing behind the scenes shit and then showed back up and everything everywhere all at once. Yeah. And look how surprised we were that he could act. And the truth is, he always could act. But he never got a shot. He never got a shot, man. He never got a shot. And then... What about Michelle Yeoh? Like, we saw how versatile she was. And it's just that to make something, to get an opportunity over here, she's not going to be able to act like that. She's got to be kicking somebody's ass, you know? Well, yeah. And and a lot of it even then has to do with minorities and stuff like that in in film and television. It's, A, what can we typecast you as? Because that's what you're going to be for as long as we want you to be that. And then you've got nothing. They won't even, they won't even give you a shot. Yeah. Especially when they're used as kid actors. And I think that that was kind of fitting with like Kiki Palmer being in this movie. Because like I said, she did Disney shit when she was younger, you know? Yeah. Essentially little white kids, they'll give you tons of shots. Not always. I mean, there's there. Yeah, there are some that fall through and or, you know, get forgotten and all this other stuff or 
but they're always more willing to give you the shot. I mean, how many reality fucking TV shows do we have in the early 2000s that were based around fucking kids that were child stars in the 70s? You know, one of the Brady's had a reality TV show. One of the Partridge family fucking people had a reality show. All these little fucking white kids that were given, you know, that really didn't do much after, you know, in regards to film or television after that, they're getting reality TV shows though when they're older. You know, we'll give them something to still be remembered by. We'll, you know, keep them alive in that zeitgeist type of way. But like you were saying, Justin, minorities don't always get that chance even. They'll just just use them, spit them out and throw it away. Yeah, and it's not like this was something that I think about. I mean, I guess, yes, you're aware of some of these things, but this movie just made me really start thinking about things. I just felt like I was seeing all that stuff, and I was like, that can't be a coincidence. And then I started thinking about little things like that, and I'm like, man, dude, this has kind of been like, this is a tale as old as time in Hollywood, This is kind of what we do. A lot of times the spectacle is putting a, like we just said, just putting a minority or an animal or something like that, you know, in this unlikely situation. You know, this chimp with an Asian child brought up by a white family. You know, or just something like that. You know, like, I think... That was different strokes with a fucking chimp. Yeah. 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 And, like, and then you had them where their father was sort of like this animal trainer and it kind of was incorporating the horses in the film and stuff like that. But still, look how they struggled to try to get work. Look how whenever um, OJ was just trying to tell them, hey, you need to give the horse a break or you need to not be so close to the horse and stuff like that. Look how nobody was listening to him. The only reason why he was there was because the person that they wanted wasn't available. You know, the director and that guy kind of had that sidebar conversation and talked about that. Well, Well, we had to go with them because, you know. Well, it Our wasn't, guy wasn't there. No, it wasn't that. It was that the dad was gone. They had worked with the dad before because they said senior. Oh, we've got to deal said, with okay, junior. Maybe I missed that. So yeah, they were just saying like not. I don't even remember if they said the dad's name. I think they just called him senior. And but okay. they were talking about his dad. They were like, "What happened to him? Oh, he died six months ago." That's what they were talking about. So we're stuck with OJ. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so because they had worked with the dad before. So when they hired Haywood, uh, the Haywood horses, they thought they were getting the dad. Okay. And he was dead. So they got him. And then that's when they were like, oh, geez. You know what I mean? Yeah. But that's what that was. And Okay. My bad. But even in that regard, though, it really speaks to it, too. That whole scene, that whole scene does, because what happened whenever they had one issue with the horse? They went, fuck it. We're going CGI. Yeah. Canned them. No more shots. And then that word travels. How many other studios? I mean, well, you probably won't have a problem now because you got the Oprah shot, but still, you know. 
it, but stuff like that travels. So I feel like he was just also speaking subtly on that, just these characteristics and these things. And just, and then I think about like all the white actors and actresses that just seem to have just this great longevity, you know, and I think about all the minority actors who maybe started strong and then they disappear and then they come back and then they disappear. And then they, I don't know, man, it's just, it's just making me think about all of it, but because it's slightly relevant, do you think a black actor could have survived the career turmoil that Robert Downey Jr. did? Honestly, that is a good question, though, if you think about it. And man, as you say that, like, it's crazy because my mind is telling me I should say yes. If if a black man, if that happened, yes, a, a black man possibly could have recovered from that if he was a black actor instead of Robert Daddy Jr. But honestly, man, my heart is saying no. Like, I just don't know if a black actor did all of that. And I'm trying to and I'm and I'm trying to just not even just picture it as just a black actor like a random. I'm trying to think of where Robert Downey Downey Jr. was in his career. And you put a black actor about where he was, which he hadn't had like a big blockbuster movie yet. Right. Like, had he done anything? A blockbuster movie? No, but he was Academy Award nominated. Yeah, that's he right. Done he had, yeah, oh, that's right. right. So he was Academy nominated at least. So, so, but the thing is, is I'm not, it's not to say that there weren't black actors that had, or just black celebrities that haven't had drug issues or something like that, that are known about and were able to recover. I mean, Michael K. Williams did, you know? It's just the numerous arrests and the public scrutiny with it. Yeah. He was just considered a junkie at one point. You know. Very true. I mean. Very true. At that point, you could even say during that time frame, when he was starting to be a junkie is kind of when Denzel was really picking up. You know, like early 90s and stuff like that. So it's like, would have would Denzel have would have he been able to survive instead of making all those movies he did in the early nineties, just doing a ton of drugs and being arrested constantly for ten straight years? Would he be able to come back in the two thousands? Man, I just don't think so. And part of that too is just the science of it. Just there are just exponentially more roles written and more opportunities for white people. So I feel like even just based on the silent, the, the science of that, it would, it would be harder for a black person because just scientifically speaking, there are going to be less opportunities for you, especially during that time. Like, of course, and I mean, it's still majority white. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying now Everything's equal. I'm not saying that either. But what I'm saying is at that time, like a black man messing up, a black actor around that status, doing making all those mistakes, all those drugs at that time on top of having less opportunities, it it, it just would have been much more difficult, man. 
much more difficult. Especially as an actor. I think musicians got away with it a little bit more because you know, like James Brown was just all kinds of drugs and bullshit and all this other stuff. Yeah. You know, but he kind of like him and Johnny Cash went through like the same thing at the same time. Like they were both doing drugs and going to jail constantly yeah. and fucking up and all this other bullshit and they survived it. But like, that's the weird thing though. What do we expect from musicians? We kind of expect that weirdly of musicians. Yeah. So they we kind do. of weirdly get a pass. Whereas like with actors, I don't know why we just assume they're not drug addicts. Like, I mean, I think we do more now, but back then, probably not. Yeah. It's just that the weird differential thing we do between musicians and actors, you know, like when they essentially all run in the same type of circles, like it's their worlds aren't that separated at that status. I wonder if it's like assuming because like they're on tour and they're all these things like it's easier for them to have access to that. Maybe. I don't know. I'm not sure. But it's like it it is one of those weird things. Now that I think about it, a musician, they're on tour or whatever, and they cheat on their wife. They're just like, oh, man, that rascal. But like an actor cheats on their wife and they're just like, he's a like douchebag. You know, he's the worst human ever, you know? Hmm. Yeah. When it's the same shit, there's not any less like people that want to fuck select like movie stars over musicians. I think their you know, fuckability rates probably the same, you know? Yeah. I just think it's funny that we just weirdly give musicians weird passes on like sex and the whole idea of sex, drugs and rock and roll. We give, we give musicians passes on some of that stuff, but we don't really give that to our, our movie stars. I mean, fuck Bruno Mars, like six years ago was caught with a bunch of Coke. Mm. Nobody even thinks about that anymore. I didn't even know that fucking done the Super Bowl. I don't think I knew that either. Yeah. Oh yeah. Caught with a ton of Coke. Man, if what's his name? If Daniel Kaluuya got caught with a bunch of coke, it'd be a fucking big problem. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. that's just that weird division we give to everything. But yeah, I just think like, you know, I think if Denzel took a 15-year bender, you know, people would look at his career differently. Now, like it's people forget about that. Like so many people nowadays don't even remember or know that Michael De- or Robert Downey Jr. used to be like a pariah in Hollywood. You know, there are kids today running around in Iron Man shirts yeah. because yeah. of him, not realizing like six years before that, he just was like on trial like for the ninth time for getting caught with a bunch of heroin. I I love I love that about Robert Downey Jr. Just like his redemption story. I love it. I think it's awesome. No, I'm not trying to count anything against that or anything. Right. I'm just saying that it's. That wouldn't have been the same situation if it was Denzel or somebody else. Yeah. That was black. Yeah. No, I get what you're saying for sure. Yeah. And it, it just kind of all goes back to that point about what I think some of this movie maybe a little thing that Jordan Peele was trying to say, just how difficult it always is, you know, whether you're the first 
<laughs> person to ever be shot in a film, you're forgotten about. And then just how difficult it is constantly for POCs. You know, I just feel like all of that, that was just one of many messages. I don't think that that, that it was the main message of the movie or anything like that, but I just felt like it was totally there. So I'm glad that y'all at least saw some similar things or can yeah. at least see some life parallels. Cause so I just thought it was important to say, you know, that wasn't the biggest point he was trying to make. Um, and, and I think he said just enough. He did enough subtleties in there and had just enough of that to where it didn't encapsulate the movie or he didn't try to make it this big message. I feel like if this had been us, he would have tried to cram way more of this stuff in there or the whole thing about um, jean jacket and how it's the viewers and all of that stuff. I just think there would have been way more on the nose stuff and he would have tried to really kind of hammer that home. But I like how here he just subtly had it and that was enough, you know, just enough for you to get it. I agree. What else you guys but have anyway. any thoughts about this movie? Anything else you want to say? You want to talk about? No, I'm good. So. I mean, yeah, it's just a, I, I just, I love that you can come out of a Jordan Peele film and just, you have so much to talk about and so much to discuss about what he's done in his film. And that's kind of really all that a filmmaker can ask for. Right. Like, I just think that's really cool how he does it. Yeah. I, I want to touch on one thing real quick that Justin brought up earlier with, with the, the, the Gordy scene. Um, I didn't think about it at the time and you brought it up you don't actually see him directly do anything to anybody. You know, no. you see the motions, you see some of the stuff, but you don't actually directly see him doing anything. And it's weird that that like looking back on it is like the most violent and gory scene of not actually seeing anybody do anything. Yeah. It is an incredibly violent scene and you don't directly see any violence it's all inferred and i think that's incredibly smart because what it is is it's it's the psycho mentality let people's imaginations do it for you yeah. show them just enough to let their imagination take over and once again it kind of shows how good jordan peele is at it he showed you just enough to where you can directly visualize that chimpanzee brutalizing those people. I mean, there's just enough there that you know he chewed someone's face off. You know yeah. it. You heard it, but you didn't mm -hmm. see it. And I think a lesser movie would have shown it, or a lesser movie wouldn't have done enough. This movie, this that scene just skirts the line of, like I said, being so violent and yet not it's not grotesquely violent i'll put it that way but it's incredibly incredibly violent incredibly violent and then what's also poignant about it and we do this shit in society all the time when jupe man jupe is such an important character like 
when he was talking about the Saturday Night Live sketch and how Chris Kattan so brilliantly played this ape going ape shit or whatever. Like, how often do we take something kind of horrific like that and just make a spectacle of it? How, like, how many people have made jokes make about Uvalde already? It. Yeah. It was days. I mean, it, honestly, it was that days. day. It was that day. Yeah. People were making jokes about Uvalde. I yep. mean, that's, that's the way it is. Yeah. You know, oh, so. one thing, I, I, it just clicked too, that you were talking about how uh, the Jupe character was so important, even though he had so little screen time. Once again, it goes back to Jaws. And like I said, he's the fucking mayor in Jaws. The mayor has very little screen time. Mm-hmm. Pivotal character in the movie. And also, yeah. if you think about the flamboyant jacket like that he was wearing and stuff like that, that's a direct homage too to the mayor's jackets in Jaws. Because mm. there's the one whenever he's sitting there talking like, no, we got it. Like, I think it's the 4th of July one. When they're like, no, we didn't catch the shark. He's like, no, you can't do that. When everybody's here. Look, everybody's here. Blah, blah, blah. His jacket's all fucking like got the red and white stripes and the anchors all over it. And, you know, it's a very ornate jacket. It's the same type of thing where he's, you know, Jupe's wearing that red jacket with the UFO shit on the back. Like it's, you know, it's it's that very theatrical element to it. This just a solely visual element. And like I said, and that's why I'm, I, I 100%, like I said, believe this movie is essentially a remake of Jaws is because Jupe's character is the mayor. I mean, I know the story arc is not the same. The character is done the same way, though. It's super important character, incredibly pivotal to everything that happens in the movie. On the screen for like six minutes. But everything hinges on that character. Yeah. You know, while, you know, while, you know, OJ and M, uh, M were trying to covertly, you know, take pictures of the, of, of jean jacket. He's trying to get people to come buy tickets to it. You know, it's that. Yeah. You know, it's, he's the mayor. And that's why I'm like, yeah, this is Jaws. Damn it. Put some respect on that Jaws name. Plus, (laughs) the only thing I'm kind of sad about is I didn't uh, know this till recently. Like Jaws is coming back to theaters this Labor Day. Oh, Oh, really? Except they're putting it in real 3D and I'm like, ugh. Mm. Like real 3D IMAX. And I'm like... You know, I, I'm not. I'm not gonna lie. If they do like a, a standard, def, like a regular, not 3D version of it, I actually would like to go see Jaws in the theater. I would too, because it's fantastic, and I kind of want that that experience because I didn't get to have that. Yeah, you know, I got to have, totally. and it's I got to see I got to see Ghostbusters in theaters, and that was great because I didn't get to see it in theaters when I was a kid. I just always watched it on VHS. And then, you know, like, I think eight years ago, it came out in theaters again for like the 20 or the 30th anniversary or something like that. It was uh, 2014. Yeah, eight years ago. It was the 30th anniversary of it. And so I got to see it in theaters then. And it was just great. It was just, you know, everything you want to be because I was able to combine my love of that movie and my love of theaters 
like I hadn't got to do before. So yeah, I, I'm sure as fuck want to go see Jaws in the theater. Because I think yeah. it, it just just to be able to experience that in a movie theater. And I saw the trailer for it. The visuals did look crisp. They Uh-oh. they did some they did some, you know, remastering a little bit. Ooh, looks so crisp. So yeah, I just kind of want to go see that movie in theaters. I just think it'd be one of those things that that's it's it's the perfect movie to do that shit with. You know, mm-hmm. coming back to theaters, Jaws, like man, like especially for people like me that have grown up with Jaws my entire life. Like Jaws has been a part of my movie watching life. And I've never gotten to see it in theaters. And I mean, there's there's worse movies to see in the theater than the original blockbuster. <laughs> the movie that, be, that defined the term blockbuster. And you know? the story behind the scenes is almost more incredible than the movie itself. Oh, yeah. Like, that's what's crazy about Jaws. And not in a it's bad just, way. Like that, and that's the good thing about it. Not in a bad way. Yeah. Just the, the fact yeah. that they were able to overcome challenges to make that movie. You know, like the, the shark puppet constantly fucking up. And all this shit, like they were able to make it work in in a glorious fashion too, you know? Yeah. And the limited days that they had to shoot. And then it just got to the point to where they were like, well, necessity was the mother of invention. We just can't show the shark because we don't have a shark to show. So, and the movie is infinitely better for that. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Like if you saw Bruce, and I do love the fact that the shark was named Bruce. A little bit of trivia, because I was talking to somebody about it. Well, it was because I watched it at my aunt's house on the 4th of July, you know. And one of my cousin's friends was there, and she was like, no, that's the name of the shark in Finding Nemo. And I'm like, yeah. They named it after this fucking shark. Like, they didn't pull the name, like, they didn't pull the name Bruce out for a great white just because they were like, oh, that sounds like a cool name for a great white. No, it's because the puppet in fucking Jaws was named Bruce. That's a direct homage to fucking Jaws. Yep. You know? Um, But yeah, dude, if you saw Bruce the whole movie, I'm not going to lie. It kind of suck. It's so, so good that you don't see it much till the end. And I'm not going to lie, too. I love the end of that movie that they shoot the air tank and it blows up. And because it's dumb, it's a dumb ending to that movie. And that's why I like it. And that's all because a producer was like, it's anticlimactic that he just shoots the shark. We have to see something happen. It needs to blow up. And they're like, how the fuck is shooting a shark going to make it blow up? And so they came up with the idea of shooting an air tank. So to actually give it a reason to blow up instead of they were just like, no, just have him shoot it and blow up. And the Steven Spielberg's like, what sense does that make? That's the dumbest idea ever that you just shoot a shark with a rifle and it blows up. So, yeah, I liked the fact that they added the air to Cause it's like you said, Justin, that the uh, necessity is the mother of invention. You know, they had to, this crazy fucking producer was going to figure out a way to make it blow up anyway. So you, you might as well do it in your terms because otherwise he'll fire your ass, have another director come film it blowing up, edit the movie and call it a day. So you might as well keep yep. your movie. And then you got an air tank there and then the air balloon killing Jean Jacket like, 
Yeah. I mean, he totally was paying some homage, man. Yeah. And that For was sure. my that was my favorite thing about like at the end too. When he just and it, like when he when when Jean Jacket exploded, I was like, "All right. There we go." So, anyway, that was my final thought about it. Anything else, guys? I know you're you already said no. But just in case, anything else? No, I'm good. Yeah, same. On that note then, Thank you guys for listening to this episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. Check us out on the internet at www.cinemaslayers.com. Check us out on Facebook. We're Cinema Slayers podcast, Twitter and Instagram. We're Cinema underscore Slayers. Uh, TikTok, we're Cinema Slayers pod. YouTube, search for Cinema Slayers podcast. Uh, give us a five-star rating review. We really appreciate it. Really help us out. Sorry for the technical difficulties we had in our Miss Marvel episode that we weren't able to upload the video, but we at least gave you guys the audio files on that. So you can listen to it even on YouTube. Um, Hopefully we have all our technical issues worked out at least enough to where we can at least keep putting some videos out and all this other stuff. So just be supportive. We're new to the video. It's new. It's exciting. It's full of fucking problems, but we're learning and we're growing and it will get better. I promise. Um, shout out to Plug Migo and Mundo Ochoa for our theme song and logos, respectively. Uh, like I said, give us a five star rating review. We'd really appreciate it. Tell your family, tell your friends, tell your friends' family, tell your family's friends, and most of all, tell those dear sweet mothers because they love Jaws. <laughs> Heather, jeez, <laughs> I keep forgetting you're going to ask me. <laughs> yeah. Tell you tell your friends and family to watch Nope because they love Jaws. Because mothers love Jaws. It's the Jaws. first thing that came to mind. Not even Daniel Kaluuya. <laughs> they do love Daniel Kaluuya. See, there you go. <laughs> Did I call him Daniel Kaluuya? I'm sorry, guys. It is so late. You guys <laughs> might not experience this because the video will be so much later. But we have been trying to finish this episode for four and a half hours now. Yes. I know the video is only going to be like like an hour and a half. We have been trying to get this done for four <laughs> and a half hours. <laughs> I'm losing my damn mind. Okay, Same. it's after two o'clock in the morning. We've been trying so hard just to get you this guy, this video, in this episode, guys. So, yeah, we're all a little out of it. Sorry about that. But like I said, it won't be a four and a half hour episode, and you know this, of course, because. This is the end of it, and you're looking down at the time code, and you're like, this is a four and a half hours. We know. It's just that's how long we've been trying to get this recording done with all the issues we've had that I won't go into detail with. But yes, that's why we are all just fucked right now, okay? Just fucked with a capital F and PH. You spell this F-P-H-U-C-K. That's how fucked we are right now. Um. See, I said, I said, that's how you spell fuck, but then I said fucked. I didn't even add the e- ED to it. See, I don't even know what the fuck's going on anymore. Anyway, something, 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 podcast, uh, TikToks, YouTube videos, <laughs> Moon Knight, Justin. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was a good one. Wow. That was a... Uh... Well, we made it, guys. I mean, we had issues 
We were going into the outro. We just needed like two or three more minutes and we still got fucked again. (laughs) Wow. It's bonkers. And I will do my best that none of you actually know any of the problems. Even though I'm saying they're there. You will see it. You will see <laughs> some surprise. You'll see some yeah. weird jump cuts. You'll see some <laughs> things where I'm like here and then I'm like, bam, I'm over here. Mid sentence. But hey, we do it for you. And then my cat, I'm sitting here trying to fucking talk and then my cat just starts tearing up a wall. What the fuck is going on with this day? What is the date? Jean jacket is around. Jean yeah, jacket got a date. <laughs> From this day on, we are never allowed to record on a July 27th ever again. Right. Okay. July 27th yeah. will forever now be known as the cursed day. <laughs> yep. All right, I'm out. <laughs>